Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Lowe Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, and then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead, download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. Are you ready for season two of Discography? I'm your host, Mark with a C, and Discography is a show where we look at a great artist through the lens of only their canon albums of first release material to see who they really are and how it all stacks up. And you should know that for season two, we will be discussing the albums by the one, the only, Janet Jackson. Singer, songwriter, dancer, actress, a household name, one of the biggest stars the Western world has ever known, and though she sold over 100 million records worldwide, few have really poured through her canonical albums to see how they stack up. From her unsung early recordings to the genre-defining albums Rhythm Nation and Velvet Rope, all the way to 2015's Unbreakable, we're taking the deepest dive into Janet Jackson's studio records one can possibly imagine. Season 2 of Discography premieres on July 17th, 2018 only on Consequence Podcast Network. Consequence Podcast Network. Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with... It's an audio interview series presented by WFPK Independent Louisville at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network. Wherever you're listening from today, uh, go ahead and do me a favor. Hit that subscribe button right now so you can keep up with these as we have multiple guests every single week. I'm Kyle Meredith. Today my guest is Ani DeFranco. I always love talking with Ani, and we're going to take the Wayback Machine to 1998. That's the 20th anniversary of her album, Little Plastic Castles. It was a very crazy, hectic time in her life, which we'll hear all about, as, as well as how the critical and press reactions really influenced that record as well. We talk about her in the middle of all that getting married and being on King of the Hill. 
We'll also discuss a little bit about the uh, 25th anniversary of the album Puddle Dive and how some of the songs had great prophecies leading to later points of her life. Of course, there's also election coverage, election 2018 discussion. And as she tells us, she's writing a book. It's Kyle Meredith with Ani DeFranco. Hey, Kyle, it's Ani. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Let's go back down that lane into the time machine, back to the the big old year of 1998. I was just looking at, you know, what your life looked like on paper, at least, around that time. And it sort of looked insane, mm. honestly. Like, mm. the amount yeah. that you were doing. That's how I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was kind of the, the apex for me of... 1998 of notoriety, fame, people at the shows, scale of the tours, you know, all over the world, lots of glamour in my face, you know, and, and, um, yeah, that was, that was the height of it for sure. The record that we're talking about, Little Plastic Castle, seemed to be one that more people checked in with before than before or since. <laughs> right. Well, that's what, you know, to, to talk yeah. about a record like this, you sort of have to talk about, you know, a, a bit of what led up to it, too, because, you know, you're, you're the, um, the the studio record that preceded this one. It, it had put you in a, in a larger spotlight. And obviously the live album that mm-hmm. came out in 97, you know, that is now mm-hmm. uh, what I read. Rolling Stone calls it one of the essential releases of the 90s. Like it was such a big deal. Was this, was Little Plastic Castles sort of a reaction to the success that was going on? Because lyrically, that's sort of how it sounds still. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you can hear the craziness of my life coming through the songs. In fact, I so yesterday when I knew I was going to talk to you, I was like, oh, what is that record? I don't remember that record. So just for you, Kyle, I went <laughs> to try to go listen to it. I was like, how am I going to remember anything? Listen to it. Go listen to it. I listen to some of it <laughs> as much as you know my 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 emotional state could handle just to put me back in that place and i noticed exactly what you're saying a lot of reactions to this sort of fame and you know that sort of position of celebrity and a lot of critical you know assessment and judgment by you know the the big greater world and yeah, there's a lot of, yeah, just living in a glass house, little plastic castle, you know, it's, I'm in a fishbowl. Right. I'm literally in a fishbowl on the cover. So, yep, that's what my life was feeling like. And in fact, now that I'm remembering back, Little Plastic Castle was the record that in which I decided to stop reading press about me. Oh, that's smart. Yeah, I realized, you know, when that record came out, and it's a bunch of songs that are reacting to the reactions to the reactions to the reactions <laughs> to me, I thought, well, this is an inward spiral. I just have to get out of it. And when that record came out, I, I deliberately did not read the critical assessment of it, and, I, and I've sort of never gone back to, you know, taking all of that in because it's just too overwhelming. Well, that's interesting then because that's exactly what the reviews of this record were about. It was the reaction to the reaction to the reaction to the reaction because, because oh wow. <laughs> because yeah. what a lot of them they it seemed like so many of them and I apologize I don't have the complete lyric in front of me but it had to do with you changing the shade of your lipstick was not, you know, uh, suddenly a voice for all of womankind. You know, it, it wasn't like this movement mm-hmm. every time mm-hmm. that a magazine took a picture of you in a different, you know, style or whatever. And and that's what they centered it on. So, yeah, it was. It was just this mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. circle and circle. Yeah, I, I was I I was really struck at the time, and in retrospect, I I still am. That when you get to that level of notoriety, like I was in in 1998, uh, people and I don't know, maybe I'm unique, but the press sort of suddenly they assume because I'm famous now that everything I do is for the public. Everything is for them. Yeah, that this lipstick is my statement about something, about something, about an image that I'm projecting for them. You know, and I don't know if I'm just a simple person, simple-minded, but I was still just living for me. Uh, That lipstick was because, I don't know, my friend said, hey, check this out, or uh, it wouldn't. I I really wasn't doing anything for image or you know the, all of that was kind of not in my mind. I, I'm a little more ram, random about that and focused on my immediate, uh, my near and dear and my friends and my life in front of me. And then the sort of the public reaction to all that and all of this meaning that was foisted upon every little detail of me all of a sudden was seemed kind of artificial. <laughs> right. Like I can tell you, you know, growing up in rural Kentucky, that this is the album that was really my introduction to you. So it took a little while to get to me down here, and I can I can remember I was in high school, and one of my best friends was sitting behind me, and she said, "You got to hear this," and she puts the headphones over my ears, and it was the song "Fuel." <laughs> me, oh, wow. me not knowing any of the background of what we're talking about now, of course, there was no context of that, so it spoke to me in present day of everything else that was happening, mm. you know, and, and I think that's, uh, I, that's probably what you're going to hope for. I mean, for songs for this specific to still find a way to relate, you know, to a 16 yeah. year old guy in, in the middle of Kentucky, that's, that's yeah. no small feat. Oh uh, yeah, that's cool. And yeah, it's funny when I was listening back to some of the stuff yesterday, that record, I was another one of my memories of that album and that moment was that, a lot of the audience that was familiar with me all along, you know, the, the sort of the core audience of, you know, feminists that had gathered around my work from the first album, that was the moment where they all said, sell out, you're a sellout now, you've gone commercial, and suddenly Little Plastic Castle was too commercial for them, or it was a sign of that I was done, I was doomed to some, you know, rock star superfluousness. Or so, and I, I was listening to it yesterday going, wow, this is, yeah, you know, this is me selling out. <laughs> it's still pretty individual and quirky and specific to me, you know, listening back. Well, you know, sound-wise, and I, I can bring that up with sort of that in mind because this was – Please welcome the brass. You know, here's the brass section, and, and uh-huh. you hear a you hear a song like "Deep Dish," which is basically a dance number. And I and that you know what I took from that, yeah. you know, so when they hear that, they heard "Sellout." What I took from that is, you know, under all this pressure, it sounds like you still found a way to have fun. Yeah, totally. I mean, I had you know I had a big band, um, which means. I was not touring alone anymore. You know, my early years were spent very solitary life, you know, traveling folk singer on her own a lot of the time or just with my drummer friend Andy. You know, so but at this point, my audience has grown. The venues have grown. I, I had enough resources to hire a crew to help me out with sound. And, and then I've got a band around me now. So I've got friends. I'm, I'm traveling around the world with friends. And, and, and we're having a lot of fun listening to music, experiencing the world together. So, yeah, it was 
there was a lot of joy, even though there was a lot of sort of pressure and definitely downsides to that kind of celebrity. Do you remember writing that that song specifically, the uh, Deep Dish? Deep Dish? I, I kind of do. I, I can picture the bar in Chicago where it's sort of where the seed of the song came from. You know, I went went out to hear some blues, you know, at a, a Chicago, you know, electric blues. And, um, oh, yeah, first we literally had deep dish pizza. <laughs> <laughs> and then we went out to a blues bar and danced. And I was hanging out with my band and Dan Byrne, a folk singer at large. Don't know if you know mm-hmm. his work, mm-hmm. but yeah. And uh, yeah, it was just, yeah, you know, not not a deep meaning song, you know, but just a, yeah, a reflection of a good time. Well, Dan Byrne, you know, you know I'll talk yeah. about some of the other things that was sort of happening that year, because again, what a whirlwind of a period. Uh, you produced a Dan Byrne record that year, as I read. Yeah. Oh, was it that? Senior, yeah, yeah, yep. We were hanging out a lot, and he asked me, you know, bless him, to to produce his record that he had was writing at the time. And I, you know, I hope I did him justice. You know, in retrospect, I I think why, you know, I mean, I was, you know, I'm I don't come from recording and producing and mixing, but for some reason, my personality was like, oh, I can do this. I don't need anybody, you know. <laughs> And that's one thing, that's one thing to have that ethic with your own music, but then to (laughs) step into the producing and mixing chair for somebody else that early on, you know, I mean, I hope I did Dan's tunes justice on that 50 50 Eggs record. He's such a great songwriter and performer. You were also on King of the Hill in 98. Yeah, yeah. What, what yeah, was, was I think it you that were? Was the beginning and the end of my voiceover work, however. <laughs> I do remember that. I, I remember the episode. I remember seeing it, but for the life of me, I can't remember what your character was at the moment. I think it was basically supposed to be me. It was a guitar teacher for That's what it. it was the guitar, you know, the young punky chick guitar teacher for the kid. Yeah. 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 That's a nice classic episode. Uh, I'll also say somehow in all of this, you got married that year, too. And that's maybe right. the part of this that sounds the most incredible that, you know, in all of this, you went <laughs> and we're going to do this. Like, did that yeah. did that play against or with everything else that you were doing? Does did that sort of also seem part of the whirlwind? Yeah, I mean, the fellow that I married had been touring with me for years. He was the first when I sort of got enough resources to hire, you know, a sound guy. That was what I desperately needed in life. You know, all those early years working with the house sound guy every night, it was a struggle, boy. They did not appreciate my ideas about the acoustic guitar. (laughs) Everywhere I went, it just, I made people angry telling them I want all the high end to go away and I want the low end to feel like a Mack truck, you know, and it's a little chick with an acoustic guitar and they just all folded their arms and shook their heads at me like, no, Mm -hmm. you know, so it was, it was hard trying to interface every day with a resistant Fella behind the soundboard. So finally, I was like, oh, I can get my own sound guy. And I hired Goat. And Goat started touring with me and Andy, my drummer, and we fell in love. And it was, you know, an unfortunate thing in that he had a partner. I kind of had a partner, you know, so it was a lot of drama, you know, that, that, that manifested into records like Dilate 
you know, and then when we finally came through it and, you know, extricated ourselves from our relationships and got together, it was such a relief as anybody who's been in this experience knows it was just instant. Let's get married. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we did it. We came through the fire. Let's get married. And yeah, we did that too, right in that swirl. Yeah. I've sort of lived a similar uh, situation in that, so I do understand completely. Mm. Minus the uh, sound man and guitar and all that part of it. But, yeah, the broad strokes. <laughs> yeah. So after all was said and done, Glass House ends up being Grammy nominated. I think this was your second time getting Grammy nominated at that point. So I don't know. I don't know how much you know weight you give that. But, it, you know, it would seem like there is at least some, like, with all the criticism that may or may not be happening at the time, that there is at least some reassurance there that, you know, you're doing good things. You're doing great things. Did it, does it come off yeah, like that? I mean, well, I'm not sh- I can't really remember what it felt like at the time. Uh, you know, probably pretty surprising. Looking back, it seems even more surprising to me. I mean, not to slag the Grammy yeah. thing, but, you know, we, can, we all sort of know that that's an industry right. game, right. you know, the, the Grammys. And and the people who vote for the Grammy winners are label people, you know. So obviously the big labels with the big artists that have a thousand in-house people to vote, it's sort of the top of the pops is rules the Grammys. And for me to come totally from the outside with none of this, I don't know, to even be nominated in the sort of in the industry world when I'm not really in it you know, was kind of a coup. And so that was, yeah, it was definitely very affirming, you know, to be sort of recognized in that, in pop culture, even though I was kind of a, an outsider coming in. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know who the heck nominated me. <laughs> you know, I must've been, I must've been making a bit of noise out there. So. Yeah. And, uh, and rightfully so, I will say. I want to bring up a couple of um, lyrics from actually a previous record, Puddle Dive, which uh, came out in 93 on its 25th anniversary. But I I was listening to that one, too, and and I heard Egos Like Hairdos, and it has the line, uh, the press will fatten you up and then dig in. And and, and I thought, how prophetic was that, that you hadn't yet exactly lived through that, you know, and yet you already had your sights on it. Yeah, it's funny. You know, songwriting for me has always been kind of prophetic. Like I write things, I don't know, they just come from my little spleen and I write them and then sometimes I look at them and I think, what does that even mean? I don't know. And then, you know, a year or two later, I, I go, oh, that's what that means. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's I'm living it now. It's interesting how I that has happened. You know, to me, it just speaks to this kind of... Um, you know, other plane that art exists on or comes from, you know, that is sort of deeper than our conscious mind. And to me, it just speaks to sort of this mysterious aspect of being conscious where you, you know much more than you're thinking. You yeah, know, there's yeah. stuff that you know subconsciously that, that is pretty deep and wide. And if you can access it, there's information there. You know, and art is a way of doing that. But, yeah, I totally agree. It's like, how how would I have known anything about that situation yet? Except you sort of do. You you know what's coming. You, you know more than you know. 
and certainly it lined up that way. Uh, and, and there's another one from that album that plays uh, into more present day, um, Blood in the Boardroom. You said, I can make life, Hello. I can make breath. And I thought that came back around when, when Play God ended up being mm. a song. It, it sort of found its uh, its seed again. And, and Play God ends up being one of my all favorite songs of yours of all time. So it's kind of... Yeah, well, first of all, bless your heart for diving right back in the puddle dive. <laughs> and Blood in the Boardroom, that is not music for the faint of heart. You are an honorary feminist avenger, sir. I'll take it. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, very early on, I had that kind of instinctual sense of, yeah, these sort of powerful men, you know, with, with power and money and position, you know, that's one kind of power, but... I was trying to pit this feminine power of, yeah, you know, you can control a lot of stuff, including death, you know, in this culture, in this political landscape. But but I can make life, you know, yeah. so, yeah. <laughs> you know. I mean, that's the most yeah. powerful of all powerful things, the creation of life. Mm-hmm. And you think that mm-hmm. um, yeah, you think yeah. that my gender would have figured that out by now, but uh, not so much. <laughs> not so much. Well, we have to get back to it. We have to get back to it. We've told ourselves a lot of different stories in the meantime, but you know, if you go back to like the first expressions of art, you know, the first human renderings and sculpture, you see this goddess this fertile goddess figure, you know, with these big boobs and this big belly, uh, you know, it's the symbol of creation, you know, it's like the miracle that we still speak of, the miracle of birth and creation, and that is the thing that we first expressed our reverence to, you know, humanity, you know, and since then it's gotten a little patriarchal but you know we're all bit. still here yeah a little bit patriarchal <laughs> but it seems like yeah that the, there is that the times are a changing right now yeah well that uh certainly leads into the uh the midterm elections are coming up and i and i have to imagine that you know that's on your mind oh yeah yeah i'm about to go back on tour and stomp around talking about voting just trying to inspire people back into the voting booth i just i'm so so convinced that the voting booth is where we enact the revolution it's mm-hmm. as easy as that it's so much easier than we think you know we're all sitting around pulling our hair out what can i do it's all so overwhelming it's all gone so terribly wrong you can show up on voting day and pull a few levers it takes 10 minutes i mean you do have to get yourself registered and you do have to find a way to show up for 10 minutes on voting day but that is all it takes you know if if we all voted all of us that that could boy we'd have a beautiful new game i mean it's it's been said many times that you know, Republicans didn't put Trump in office and Democrats didn't put Trump in office and women or men didn't put Trump in office. It was the people who didn't vote who put Trump in office. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. I mean, we've had it's you know, it's 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 not it's not accidental that we are in this situation. Certainly, you know, I'm a child of the well, I luckily I was born in 1970. So I had the 70s uh, uh, for formative years to feel this kind of America that is kind of gone now. But I, I, and then the 80s, you know, boom, comes in Reagan, the me generation. It was the mind meld of just go shopping. You know, it was the the generation where the, the cultural revolution was, you are consumers, not citizens. You are consumers, not citizens. You are, con- you know, mm-hmm. 
And it, it affected us. It affected young people. There was a real sort of lag of, of, of political activism of, you know, there was a kind of a break in a lot of the social movements, you know, and there was this, you know, the me generation was sold to us. And uh, um, a lot of people bought in, so to speak. But I think we're finally waking up from that lie that actually happiness is not gotten through buying stuff. We need to find each other again. I certainly hope so. I, I feel that wave as well. I just, I want to see it crest mm. now, you know, I want to see that wave finally yeah. break. I, I, I know, you know, binary is, is barely a year old, I think, but, uh, you know, I will ask, do you know what your next move is at this point? Well, I've been, I spent the last year and a half writing a book. I don't know if I mentioned that when I was with you, but it's done. I wrote it. I wrote a book, past tense, um, and I'm just waiting for it to get pushed into a little book form, and it's going to come out in the spring. So, yeah, that's my new trick. That's um, your new trick. Wow. You know, this is the life story? Complete sentences. Yeah. <laughs> memoir. Memoir with a lot of pontification, you know me, a lot of just what is in my mind, yeah. you know. Uh, and what I can remember. So, yeah, it's sort of a lot of going back to the, you know, the era of Little Plastic Castle and the whole ride of the 90s, you know, from my seat on the roller coaster, you know. You've got a, uh, you've got a hell of a story. I, I can't wait to read it and, uh, and take that trip with you then. Yeah, uh, that'll be a new trip for me, you know, going to bookstores. Right. And, uh, I don't know what happens <laughs> when you release a book, but it'll be a new a new game. Well, I can't wait to uh, to see that happen and, and to experience that as well with you. Ani, thanks so much, as always, for uh, for doing this. Uh, you know, I'm always such a big fan, yeah. and I really appreciate it. Oh, Kyle, nice to talk to you always. Thanks so much to you. All right, Ani, uh, we'll see you around. Thank you. All right, bye. All right, cool. Bye. Always, my thanks to Ani DeFranco for the calls. Don't forget to, to hit that subscribe button right now, wherever you're listening from, whether it's YouTube or anywhere. Hit that subscribe button right now to keep up with these interviews. Uh, if you're listening to the uh, the podcast, iTunes, Podchaser, wherever you're getting it from, uh, go ahead and give a rating while you're here and then uh, leave a review as well. Then you can head over to WFPK.org. That's where you hear me do a show every Monday through Thursday from noon to 3 Eastern. And you'll also find some bonus episodes of this series over there. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.